Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. In this episode of Rank Amateur we are doing a special Halloween edition of the podcast and we are going over a famous ghost ship USS Cyclops. So yes there will be no World of Warships section on this episode as it was a freighter and not necessarily a warship. So, it is not in World of Warships. And let's dive into some naval history. But before we get into naval history and news in World of Warships, I would like to thank uh, Senior Chief One and Gigantosaurus for leaving two positive reviews on my page in Apple Podcasts. These reviews were left a little while ago, but I was recently checking them and noticed them. So thank you for the positive reviews. It really helps out with my standings in Apple Podcasts, and I much appreciate the encouragement. But now let's get into the news in World of Warships. First off, in the news of World of Warships is the new update, which is 0.9.10. And that update is the Part 2 version of U.S. Battleships, which means that Battleships Kansas, Minnesota, and Vermont are going to be out of early access and available for everybody to research if they would like. And while I'm not going to judge the Battleships now because I haven't played them, I have heard that they suck. And... I guess someone would have to tell me how they really play. I haven't really looked into them. I just know that they have very large guns, not super great armor, and terrible speed. So I guess if you're more on the offensive or, or sitting around the back of the map, just like shooting at things, which seems to be the gameplay that these battleships promote, then these might be the battleships for you. Although they only start at tier 8, so you would have to survive through the lower tier US battleships, which are pretty good, to get to these new battleships. As always, with the uh, World of Warships updates, especially when they introduce new ships, there's new uh, objectives or courageous containers that you can obtain by completing combat missions, and you can obtain up to 27 containers by completing combat mission groups, up to 4 containers from daily shipments, and up to 10 containers by completing special combat missions from the official World of Warships streams, which uh, I guess people might want to watch. Uh, each Always Courageous container will include an element of the Always Courageous collection, which is a collection of uh, U.S. admirals and uh, U.S. We battleship weapons and medals. Uh, and by completing these collections, you can obtain the USS Oklahoma, which I will go over that in a second. But uh, the next thing that it will contain is one special signal, so Dragon, Red Dragon, Hydra, you know, that sort of thing. Or it can contain one Stars and Stripes camouflage, which does look very good on a U.S. ship. Capitalism intensifies. But it can also contain one of the following as well, which would be 600 coal, 503 XP, 1500 Elite Commander XP, three signals of the same type, uh, so Zulu, Papa Papa, Equal Speed, Charlie London, India Bravo, uh, Terra 3, or Zulu Hotel, or 50,000 credits if you get really unlucky. 
And then you can purchase Always Courageous premium containers, of course, because Wargaming never fails to monetize their game, like a good developer always would, uh, which offer more rewards in the premium shop, or exchange them for doubloons in the armor, so basically buying them at two different places. And the rewards are as follows. An element of the Always Courageous collection... 15 special signals, so the dragons or the hydras or some other signals, and 12 or or 12 stars and stripes camouflages contains 3,400 coal or 8,500 free XP or three type 59 camouflages. And the always courageous collection, as I said before, is a four section collection, each with four elements. And they'll actually have some information about the uh, main batteries of battleships, admirals, medals for service in both world wars for the U.S. Navy, as well as the main uniform types of enlisted men in the U.S. Navy during World War II, which is kind of interesting to actually put some effort into that. And then for completing this collection, which actually is a lot, so you got 16 items you have to obtain, so 16 containers you have to obtain, you get USS Oklahoma, which is a Tier 5 premium U.S. battleship. And for those of you who don't know what USS Oklahoma is, it's a Nevada-class battleship and has 10 356mm main caliber guns placed in two twin turrets and two triple turrets, so kind of an unusual arrangement. And those are 14-inch guns, by the way. It is uh, the one of two U.S. battleships that sank at Pearl Harbor, which could not be recovered. Uh, it was hit by, I believe, nine torpedoes and capsized, damaging it beyond repair. And it was to be scrapped but sunk in tow when it was coming back to California. The guns are fairly accurate, according to World of Warships. I haven't seen any specs on it yet. Uh, they have a decent firing range, so I'm guessing around 15, 15 to 18 kilometers or so. And they cause significant damage per salvo, and that's according to World of Warships, which, duh, it's a battleship. It should cause significant damage per salvo. But the main drawback of these guns is they apparently take a very long time to reload, which um, battleships already take 30 seconds to reload, so are we looking like like a 40 second reload for these guns, or what? I really hope it's not like that. Uh, in close quarters, they say, the battleship can make use of her accurate secondary battery guns, but they didn't have very many secondary battery guns because it's a Nevada-class battleship, and then I believe only has three or four mounts on each side, so they're kind of useless. But more on different shipments you can obtain. So for logging into the game, just it's completely free. You get daily shipments, and that's fairly common for each update. And this update is basically just uh, stars and stripes camouflages, coal or credits, and containers, and then one day of premium, and 50 doubloons on day eight. Which I mean, yay, 50 doubloons! What can you get with 50 doubloons anymore? Like three signals? I don't know. But at least it's uh, 50 doubloons and not no doubloons. Um, there's a new battle type as well. It's a temporary Halloween battle. They're calling it the key battle, and that's essentially just 16v16, and then there's AI-controlled monsters that come attack you and stuff. But if you just write it off there, that uh, leaves all the interesting parts of this battle mode out. So... Uh, these monsters that come and attack you for destroying them, you'll get a temporary resource, which is battle points, and you can accumulate a certain amount of these battle points and reinforce your ship directly in battle. And the battle points you receive are not lost or spent in battle, and you can exchange them for rewards in the armory. What those rewards are, I don't know, but I'm assuming they're at least mediocre. 
Um, and you'll find a monster with a key close to the center of the map. And if you destroy that monster, the monster will drop a key that will allow you to escape via the portal. And once all keys have been used or the portal is closed, remaining ships will be transported to a special area, the Octagon. The final battle takes place in a gradually shrinking combat zone, and the last surviving ship will leave the Polygon. So is it the Octagon or the Polygon, World of Warships? I don't know. There's a typo there. Uh, and you'll leave it successfully. Successfully escaping this polygon will bring you additional battle points. And each of the three available ships offer a wide variety of modules and everything. They're just kind of fake ships. Uh, they, they are rather cool looking. And they're supposed to be like sci-fi sort of things. So interesting in that form of news. One other piece of news that I figured I'd mention was the fact that World of Warships is teaming up with Verizon for some strange reason i don't know why but it's actually fairly nice um what's going to happen is for verizon customers you're going to be able to redeem or show proof of your verizon customership i guess and you will receive 75 dollars of in-game goods you will receive the premium cruiser tier 2 albany which is i guess okay less nice you also receive the premium american battleship arizona you'll receive 15 days of world of warships or 30 days of world of warships premium account rather and a 15 percent discount coupon in the premium shop which is very nice. I actually would like that reward. But that's not all. You get monthly rewards in the following three months, 30 days of World of Warships premium accounts, and 15% discount in the premium shop, which I find very interesting. And this does not only apply to people who are already customers of Verizon. This also applies to those who uh, decide to become a Verizon customer. And if you become a Verizon customer, you will also get these rewards. Um, this is only available in the U.S., unfortunately, for those who, uh, do not live in the U.S., you are not eligible for this, unfortunately. Uh, and this becomes available on the 29th of October to those who are primary account owners subscribed to Verizon wireless plans. Uh, on the 30th of October, it will become available to the rest of Vi Verizon wireless customers, so I'm assuming if... Uh, maybe your wife or something own, is the primary account user. You will not be able to use uh, this offer until 30th of October. And on November 4th, you will be able to redeem this offer if you are a Files customer, which Files, I'm pretty sure, wild, or Verizon's uh, streaming service for videos and things. Uh, so that is a very nice reward. And I say we take a quick break before we get into the naval history behind the disappearance of USS Cyclops. And we're back at Rank Amateur, about to go over the naval history behind USS Cyclops, one of the ghost ships of the US Navy, as it was lost without a trace in March of 1918. But without further ado, let's get into the specifications of the ship. So, she is named after the mythological giant Cyclops, which, um, I mean, it's a one-eyed giant. I mean, what else am I going to say about it? Uh, so she was built by William Cramp and Sons in Philadelphia. She was launched in 
May of 1910, specifically the 7th of May 1910. She was commissioned on the 1st of May 1917. And you may be thinking, well, what the heck? Why was she in fitting out for seven years? And she actually wasn't because being a freighter, she was not in active service in the U.S. Navy. She was not a commissioned ship of the U.S. Navy, did not have the title of USS. Uh, before 1917, and that's when the U.S. joined the war, so they needed her to be a commissioned vessel. Um, so she was in service before that, working with the U.S. Navy, just in the U.S. Naval Auxiliary. And she was a Proteus-class collier. She had a displacement of 19,360 long tons full. She had a length of 542 feet or 165 meters. She had a beam of 65 feet or 20 meters. She had a draft of 27 feet 8 inches or 8.43 meters. She had a top speed of incredibly slow 15 knots, which is actually identical to that of the carrier USS Langley, which I did a podcast earlier about if you want to scroll down and check that out. But that's because it is the same class as USS Langley, because USS Langley started out its life as USS Jupiter, which is a Proteus-class collier. And she had a complement of 236 officers and enlisted crew members. She was actually armed, and armed fairly well for a uh, freighter. And that is because she carried four 4 inch or 100 millimeter guns. And those were two on each side, two at the front, or two at the bow, and two at the stern of the ship. And this meant that she was well protected against any German threats, or at least not any German threats, but most German threats that she would encounter. On to the history of the ship. So the pre-war history of the ship is fairly uneventful. It uh, mainly just consists of coaling ships uh, or actual uh, commissioned vessels of the U.S. Navy while they were on patrol, so refueling them. Um, she sailed to the Baltic from May to July 1911 to supply the 2nd Division ships, and then she also served in the occupation of Veracruz, Mexico, uh, where she recalled ships when they were on patrol, and this actually received the thanks of the U.S. State Department for cooperation in evacuating refugees. When the U.S. joined World War II, she was commissioned into the U.S. Navy as an active ship, and she basically just sailed to Saint-Nazaire, France, in June 1917, returned to the U.S., spent a lot of time off the U.S. East Coast, and then was assigned to the U.S. Naval Overseas Transportation Service, and this sent her to Brazilian waters to help fuel British ships in the South Atlantic on their patrols. And this also received the thanks of the U.S. State Department and Commander-in-Chief of the Pacific. However, after this, things start to get a little strange with the ship. So she arrived in Rio de Janeiro on February 16th, 1918, and entered Salvador, on February 20th. Two days later, she was to depart for Baltimore, Maryland, with no stop scheduled, and she was carrying 8,000 long tons of manganese ore, which is not what she was designed to carry. She was designed to carry coal. And while technically the weight of the coal is going to be the same as the stuff that, or the manganese ore that she was carrying, it has different properties, such as being a lot denser than coal. And coal is slightly acidic, which means that since this uh, ship was made out of metal, it was eating, likely eating away at the structural integrity of the ship. And then... That would mean that this extremely dense ore that's likely sloshing around in the ship as it's bobbing up and down in the waves 
could be damaging and stressing the frame even further. And it doesn't help that this ship was not properly loaded. It, Even though it says in some records that it was properly loaded, especially Brazilian records, what actually happened was is they basically just dumped it in the cargo hold. So there was a large mound in the center and the sides did not have as much ore. And that causes issues for ships because... Uh, as the ship uh, rolls, it's going to send some or tumbling down to one side or tumbling down to another, which can affect the balance of the ship. And it's for this reason that they load ships with a level cargo. So let's say you're putting coal in. The coal should be, have the same height everywhere you look. Not It shouldn't be mounded. It should be flat so that the coal doesn't move. It doesn't roll. It doesn't affect the weight distribution of the ship, which can lead to capsizing, which could go to explain why the ship suddenly disappeared, but let's get back into the storyline. And to further enhance the plot of this mysterious disappearance, the captain of the ship, Commander Worley, had submitted a report to a survey board saying that the starboard engine had a cracked cylinder, was no longer operative. This would slow down their progress because instead of maintaining a maximum speed of 16 knots, or rather 15 knots, the ship would only be able to maintain a maximum speed of 10. This survey board recommended that she return to the U.S., which she was returning to the U.S. anyway, so may as well complete the voyage. And one thing that happened along the journey that was recorded that was very interesting was an unscheduled stop in Barbados. And this is because the water level on the ship was over the plimsoll line. And the plimsoll line is tells how deep the ship is sitting in the water. And if it's over the plimsoll line, technically it's not even legal to use the ship because it's overloaded. You should not be using the ship. So in Barbados, they should have taken off some of this manganese ore and put it somewhere because it's not safe to carry it on the ship. However, they were told, A-okay, keep going to Baltimore and you'll be fine. However, we can see that was clearly not the case. Now, we don't know if this was the reason for the disappearance of USS Cyclops, but it could have been a definite factor as the ship was very overloaded if it went over the plimsoll line, because ideally you're not even close to the top of the plimsoll line, especially in tropical waters such as those that exist around Barbados. She then left Barbados for Baltimore, Maryland, and was never heard from again. As she was leaving Barbados, the last radio transmission received from her said, Clear weather, all is well, or something along the lines of that, and she was never heard of or seen again. She was allegedly seen on March 9th by the molasses tanker Amoco, but this was denied by the Amolco's captain because the Cyclops wouldn't have been in Baltimore until the 13th of March, and it was very, very unlikely that she would be so far ahead of schedule as to be off the coast of Virginia on March 9th. So it's highly unlikely that that was the Cyclops. But at the time, this did not alarm anybody because the Cyclops wasn't even supposed to be there. And it did alarm people when the Cyclops didn't arrive in Baltimore on the 13th of March, like she should. So they initially thought, oh, she's just probably late, so the 14th of March passes, no Cyclops. 15th, no Cyclops. 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, no Cyclops. This started to alarm the Navy, as this was one of their largest ships and most valuable assets in carrying stuff around the Atlantic. So an extensive search was conducted for it, and not even a single piece of debris was found from the ship. No! 
which is very, very interesting because usually if a ship sinks in a storm, you'll find some sort of debris, such as the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald in Lake Superior. They found lifeboats, they found life vests and other floating objects that had washed along the shores of Lake Superior, but they did not find the ship for a while. So that indicates that it probably sank. But if there's no debris like there is in the Cyclops, how are we supposed to know what happened to it? And this is what's generated a ton of conspiracy theories about it. And the Navy conducted an extensive report on what could have sank the Cyclops. And they concluded, and I quote, Many theories have been advanced, but none have satisfactorily accounts for her disappearance. So yeah, basically, the Navy said, We don't know what happened to it. No one's been telling us what they saw. So we didn't have no clue what is going on <laughs> with our ships. And this was, I guess, it went largely unknown as to why such a ship would fail until a few years later. When two of the three sister ships of the USS Cyclops, the Proteus and the Nereus, vanished without a trace in the Bermuda Triangle as well. So it was originally theorized that, well, I, I guess it wasn't theorized anything for the USS Cyclops because no one knew what happened to it. But when the Proteus and the Nereus disappeared, they were both carrying bauxite ore, which is used to produce aluminum for aircraft, you know, whatever aluminum's for. But they also had been showing symptoms of some minor structural failure, and they're saying that this ore is so dense that it could have caused catastrophic structural failure in these ships. And since they were only like 20 years apart, the Proteus and the Nereus were lost in World War II, actually only a few days apart from each other. It suggests that maybe the Cyclops suffered from structural failure as well, because they think that what happened, even in calm seas, is that the natural motion of the ship going through the water could have tore itself apart because it's just so heavy and the structures can't handle the weight of the ore. And this was originally suggested by Rear Admiral George Van Ders, and this was because he had evidence from the USS Jason, which was another collier not related to this class, but it had been observed on USS Jason that these structural I-beams that ran the length of the ship were decaying under the weight of this metal ore, and it was also observed on another similar freighter, the Chuki, and this snapped in two, in calm seas. So this may have just been a design failure, in the ship, causing it to snap in two in calm seas, as there were no storms reported at the time of the disappearance of USS Cyclops. But it still doesn't explain why there's nothing that's been found from USS Cyclops. I mean, there are more things on a ship that float other than the ship itself, so that should float when the ship sinks, but it's there's, there's nothing that's been found. And it's because this reason that on June 1st, 1918, Assistant Secretary of the Navy, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, to us Americans, actually everybody, that might be a very familiar name, declared that the Cyclops is officially lost and all hands are deceased. This makes the disappearance of USS Cyclops the single largest loss of life by nonviolent means in U.S. Navy history. To further deepen the plot, the captain of the USS Cyclops, George W. Worley, was kind of a wanker, to be honest. 
So this captain was initially born in Germany as Johann Friedrich Wickman in Stansdert, Hanover, Germany in 1862, but he came to America illegally and changed his name to George M. Worley. And he had some interesting dealings before becoming a officer in the Naval Auxiliary Reserve. And he was involved in picking up and delivering cargo. And he did this legally, and he also did it illegally, and was actually known to transport opium. So yes, this guy is a very, very interesting figure, and was not respected by his crew because he was supposedly, at least by the words of some crewmates or some former crew members, similar to HMS Bounty's Captain William Bly. And that was, he was very, very intense on the crew members for very little things. He was, he often brutalized them for simple offenses, as maybe forgetting to do something. And he was known to chase enlisted members of the crew around the ship with a pistol. And he was also known to wander the ship simply in his underwear and a hat. Yeah, so this is a definitely a wanker here that we're dealing with. And he would berate and curse his fellow officers for simple offenses similar to the enlisted men. And he was not very respected by these uh, members of the crew of the Cyclops. And he was also a German sympathizer as well because he was born in Germany. And so were many of his passengers. There was a little bit of suspicion about him going around the ship because... They th the crew thought that he might try to hand the ship over to the Germans, along with its 8,000 tons of extremely valuable, or maybe not extremely valuable, but valuable, nonetheless, manganese ore, which would not fly with the crew. So there's a possibility, and this was actually brought to the attention of the Secretary of State by Charles Ludrow Livingston, who is a U U.S. Consul to Barbados, that there was a strong possibility the crew was planning to mutinize on the Cyclops during the voyage from... Barbados to Baltimore, but that still does not explain why the ship sank. It does not, or well, I guess we don't know totally what happened, we're assuming it sank, but it doesn't explain why it sank without a distress signal or anything, because you think of a crew being mutinized, at least some of the top officers would send out a distress signal, right? And along with this strange circumstance, there's also those people on the internet who are constantly creating conspiracy theories that yes the three ships that disappeared out of this class were all abducted by aliens or something like that there's always that very strange theory and there's very little evidence to prove this so actually there's no evidence to prove this at all so those theories are nothing more than conspiracy theories or i guess ideas but the Navy does not actually have official conclusion on this. They say it possibly sank in a storm. There's also a possibility that the Imperial German Navy may have sank it, although that there is no record of anything happening in the South Atlantic because you know that the captain had sympathized with the Germans and there was this possibility that he could transfer the ship over. And that's kind of what the U.S. Navy was thinking until they combed the records of the Imperial German Navy and found out that it had no dealings with the USS Cyclops. There was no recorded torpedoings of it or anything like that. So unless this U-boat that, or at least we're assuming it's a U-boat, that sank this ship did not record it at all, there is very little possibility that that record could have gotten lost between the submarine or ship that sank the Cyclops 
and the Imperial German government. So, kind of scratch that off. We have no evidence to say that the Germans sank it, so scratch that off. So we have a storm, but we, there was no storms that were recorded when the Cyclops sank, so it was likely in pretty much calm seas that it sank. So, we can't rule that out, but that's very unlikely. So we're left with this structural theory of... The fact that the structure of the ship was likely weakened because of how much ore it was carrying, how it was poorly loaded, and that how the structure of the ship was likely weakened by the years and years of carrying coal around. So, modern researchers are seriously considering the theory that maybe it just hit a wave at an interesting angle that finally stressed the hull that had already taken so much stress. It stressed it too much, so the ship could have broken apart in calm seas and sank and it may just be up to chance that we haven't found any evidence of the uss cyclops maybe it sank too far out in the ocean to have any recorded evidence of uh, anything from it washing ashore and there's also the gulf stream currents that are there that could have tore this already weakened ship apart on the way down which would explain why we've never seen a wreck from it and speaking of how we've never seen a wreck from it, there was evidence in the mid-1960s that a diver did find a wreck that was the size of the Cyclops and notified the Navy, convinced the Navy to send its divers out to verify if that indeed was a Cyclops or a different ship. And when they got to the location, the description of the Cyclops did not match the wreck that they found. But with modern technology, it is entirely possible that we could find the wreck of the Cyclops. Maybe it's just lurking in the Puerto Rican trench, which is where most researchers think that it might be because of the depth of the trench. It's around 25,000 feet down. It's the deepest part of the Atlantic Ocean. But there is also the possibility that it could have just sank in a place that we have miraculously not come across yet with our scanning systems or just not searched yet uh, because the Atlantic Ocean is a very very large place and it's hard to search or actually we've never searched all of it we've mapped all of it for depths but we've never combed the sea for those little bits of wreckage that are likely to exist of this ship because if it did in fact break apart at the surface it would likely be in many pieces by the time it got to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean several thousand feet down but no one really knows for sure the whereabouts, the, the fate, or the means by which this ship was lost. So what do you find most believable in your opinion? What do you think happened based on the evidence that I've presented to you? What do you think happened to the Cyclops? Is it still floating around somewhere and we've just miraculously not come across it? Or is it in fact sunk? Because it probably is. And where would it be? Would it have been torn apart by the Gulf Stream and just have no evidence of it? Or evidence of it scattered across the floor in unrecognizable pieces that may not even come up on our sonars? I'd like to know. Email rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com your thoughts about this story. And hopefully, maybe this creeps you out that maybe the next time you sail across the Bermuda Triangle, or anywhere for that matter, or venture out on an airplane, you may never come back. Okay, realistically, that's not going to happen, but, you know, just a little bit of Halloween for you there. Have a good Halloween, and stay tuned for the next episode, coming sometime in mid-November. And until next time, Captains...